probably more, so please don't feel hurt if you've been forgotten. You're not forgotten. Um, it's great to be with you again. I'm David. Uh, glad to share here. I was thinking last time I shared, I think it was Father's Day 2019, so a lot's happened since then. Um, a lot has happened, obviously, right? <laughs> the whole world has changed in so many ways. Um, we've had a baby since then, our house. So if you can see my eyes looking a little tired, he's amazing, beautiful, but he's a baby. Um, a lot's changed, obviously, but I was thinking about um, uh, what I was going to share on, and I was just kind of confronted with, you know, so much hasn't changed at all. So much in one sense. Uh, the presence of God, obviously, you know, like we were singing about, he's been steady through it all. You know, our desperate need for a Savior, for Jesus, um, hasn't changed. In fact, it's probably more apparent than ever, you know, in, in some sense, right? This, this need for, for um, his presence, his, his life, his renewal, his, his, uh, his truth to shine in and set us free from mindsets, from, from stuff. None of that's changed, but he hasn't changed at all. He hasn't changed at all. He's not thrown off by anything. He never has been. He's never, uh, you know, uneasy on his throne. It says he's, in Psalm 2, it's right, it's just a picture of he sits on his throne. He sits. He's relaxed in that sense. He's relaxed in who he is. He's not thrown off. He's sovereign. He sees everything. He sees the end from the beginning. He sees the whole story. And we in our humanity, that side, you know, we, get, we just get so frazzled at times, you know. It's, oh, what's going on? I didn't see this coming. You know, I think the church, a lot of what I've heard is we just, how come we didn't see this coming, this pandemic and all. It's like, eh. I mean, in one sense, it doesn't matter whether you saw it or not. God was going to be constant, has been constant, has been steady throughout all of it anyhow. And I was, uh, before I really get in the message, I just want to read Psalm 46 because, man, we can always use more scripture, right? Let's just read this. Just listen to this. Let your heart kind of Take rest in God. This is just along the theme, too, of the songs earlier, the Highland song. I want to actually quote some of that, too, because I was just really impressed sitting over there like, oh, Lord, it's so true. Here's Psalm 46, a pretty well-known psalm. You'll recognize some passages in it, if not the whole thing. But um, I'm reading from the New King James. I just got an ESV Bible for my birthday. But it's so nice. It's like the new car. You like don't let the kids in that new car. You know, it's like it's nice right now. So the Bible I didn't bring. I have my old, 25-year-old slimline NKJ, which has been with me through a lot of stuff. So, it still works. Here it is. God is our refuge, and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Sounds like some lyrics we had there. Though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. There is a river whose streams shall make glad the city of God. In the midst of the chaos, gladness. The holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her just at the break of dawn. The nations raged, the kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice, the earth melted. Here's the kind of one of the climax claims of the psalmist here. The Lord of hosts is with us. 
The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord, who has made desolations in the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and cuts the spear in two. He burns the chariot in the fire. And of course you all know this one, but listen to this again. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts, again, here it is. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. <sighs> so much in there, of course, but just the reality of, of God as a refuge for his people, as a steady, uh, steady trust, one that can be rejoiced in in the midst of chaos, literal chaos, the one who, who shows his works before the world. And today I want to talk about the ways of God. I'll talk about the ways of God. This is from Psalm 103, so a little later in the book here, uh, 7. Um, maybe I'll just open to it quickly. Is there in verse 8, 46, it says, Come behold the works of the Lord. And that is, a, that is what, what, what we can talk about here in a second. The works of the Lord are evident. But here, listen to this, Psalm 103, 7. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. That's what I want to focus on today. Listen to the difference there. Again, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. Listen, the works of God are evident before all creation. They've happened since creation. <laughs> Literally throughout, we see God's hand. And if you look back historically, objectively, you'll see the power of God at work. You know, we see it in the his history of the Bible. We see it in the history um, the last 2,000 years as well. The, the sovereignty of God, the acts of God are evident, right? His power. His ability, the way, his, the miracles. You know, you have to just stop and actually be objective and look. And you'll see his, his miraculous hand and his prophetic word coming to, to be over and over and over and over again. Obviously, the, the zenith of it all being Jesus Christ, the person, the born baby in a cradle who, you know, as a man, uh, suffered in obedience to the point of death and broke in the new covenant, right? The ultimate prophecy fulfilled. But even since then, Things like Israel. You have to just look at a nation like that and just see like, the, the sovereignty and the acts of God are very evident throughout history. The way, you know, and, and in, in the most difficult of times, the Dark Ages, World War II, all these times, yet God's church survives. God's word not just survives, it overcomes. It, it grows. It has, it has grown through persecution from its inception into... And like, this, like Jesus said, the seed, the mustard seed that grows into a giant plant. It's the kingdom of God. It's miraculous. It's powerful. And, I, and I've, always, I've, ch I've challenged people before. It's like you just have to look objectively at history and see the works of God, the acts of God. Well, here's Israel in Psalm 103. You know, and we've read a lot of the stories in the Old Testament there. But they are, they are seen, you know, from, and, and it's referring to the Egyptian slavery times here. They saw the works of God. They saw the ten plagues. They saw his power bring them out of slavery through the Red Sea. They saw these acts of God in the wilderness. They saw him provide food, water, everything that they need as a desolate people of, you know, some million people or something like that. But what's the difference here? They all saw it. But he says he made known his ways to Moses. Moses stood out as one, and we see it in Exodus 33 there. He, he talks about it. it's the presence of God, like we just prayed, that makes the difference. It's the ways of God that he wanted to know. He also saw the acts of God, but it was the, it was the step beyond that. 
that he wanted, the desire to know the ways of God, to know God, as we like to say it, to know his nature. And I'm telling you, it's very similar, these times that we're in, with all the noise, the clamor, the chaos, the, the pandemics, the worries, the political insanity, the societal division and, and, and divisiveness and everything, and the misunderstandings and the violence and the wars, the sex slavery, all of this stuff, right? In the midst of that chaos, you know, you can just watch how God's sovereignty plays out. We all should be doing that. But you can also hear the invitation of God for his people in this time to come and know me, come and know my ways through it. Come and know. And that, that way, you not only are not shaken by the world and all the things that are going on, but you also know how to be an influence for heaven, for the kingdom. Right? You know, you've heard that old saying, you're too heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. Well, that's not true. <laughs> it's probably the opposite, actually. It's, it's, it's you need to be heavenly minded to be of any earthly good. And if we needed a, a reminder of that, it's probably in this time, The church needs to remember, we're not called to be just earthly up to par with everybody else. That is not our call at all. We are to stand out. Even Israel was supposed to stand out, not just the church of Jesus Christ in the new covenant. They were even called to be a light to the nations. That's the prophetic call over Israel that has yet to be fulfilled and has been partially fulfilled already in the church. But it's the church's mandate to stand out as a supernatural people, to be different. Not to be just, you know, and again, all so much in America and in the West, right? All our program with COVID and all this stuff, the program's just done. <laughs> like went to zero for the most part. You know, a lot of the things that we rely on, our production, our ability, our money, our influence, our great speakers and authors and all of these things, they just kind of don't have much of a place when you're suddenly on shutdown mode. You know, and then guess what? The church has to, has to actually step up and be the church. <gasps> oh my goodness, Really? Like, we have to do more than be audience members and just kind of do our time and pay a little money if we're feeling generous, but eh, don't be too legalistic, you know. No, no, this has been an amazing time, an amazing time. So uh, one guy, whether or not you're, I'm not going to even name his name, but he he had this great post by a leader in the church when it all kind of broke out. He's like, man, is anyone else rejoicing right now? You know, everybody is in, in shambles and depression. And what are we going to do? And I know there's, there's, a, there's a place for that. I'm not trying to disqualify that. But he said, but look what's happening. Like in America, our sports, one of our big idols, it got shut down for a bit. You know? All, a lot of our, our workaholic parents, moms and dads, have to be home with their kids for a little bit and actually pay attention to their families. You know, the, some people, you know, have, some of their entertainment went down and, and, you know, they have to actually trust God for their bills to be met. Some of these things we have to get on our knees. People are having to force community in. Hey, what brothers and sisters in Christ do I actually have a relationship with that we could pray together and be together, you know, and actually keep each other accountable and, and alive and, and empower one another towards good works, towards loving our neighbors, towards standing out, towards praying together, meeting each other's needs. Oh, my goodness, what a challenge, right? And, and so the, I, heard, I heard that voice. I was like, yes, bro, keep it up. You know, keep, keep shouting that because we need to hear it. It's like it's a time, it's a time of, of rejoicing in one sense that God is at work in the midst of stuff that we don't like, in the midst of trials and troubles and tribulations. He's just as God as he was before. He will be just as God when it's all said and done, when it's all over. When it's most obvious to us and when it's least obvious to us, it doesn't matter. Our perspective on God doesn't change who God is. We are just little men creatures. 
You hear that? We just, we just, it, our take on God doesn't matter. You know, all the intellects of the world putting their minds together, all the scientists, biologists, professors, brilliant people, all, you know, every nation, tribe and tongue to come together with some collective and say God's not real. It doesn't change a thing. It doesn't change his reality. Reality isn't changed by what you're going through, by what you're in the midst of, by your perspective at the time. It's God is still a lasting refuge. That's what the psalmist is saying here. It's, he's a lasting refuge for his people. He is still there. And it, I'm telling you, this, the other thing I really have um, wrestled with during this time, too, is, well, what's the beauty of all this? Because, you know, what, what, how is the church going to grow through this time of, of, in a sense, to shut down or pandemic or having to deal, you know, and having to change, having to maneuver, having to adapt? I was like, well, I think it's exposing a lot. I think it's exposing, and exposure can be a really good thing. We have a really faulty mentality in the church of, of repentance. I'll talk about that in a second. Of God shining light on things. We run from it. It's almost like we're like, the, like Jesus said, the one who, whose deeds are evil and doesn't want to go towards the light. We act like that in the church because we don't want our deeds to be exposed. And so God forces the issue often. He's done it. You know, and a lot is being exposed right now just worldwide, right? Culturally. Politically, of course, economically, things are being shown for what they are. There's so much we could say about that, and that's not my point this morning. I'm saying things are being shaken. Things are being exposed. Um, issues, a lack of unity. You know, just we, when things are going okay, we hover, you know, we kind of just hover over and gloss over a lot of problems often, right? You know, it's like the, the married couple when everything's going perfect for them, you know, and, you know, life is perfect. It's easy, it's easy to be faithful. It's when you're challenged where it's like now you have to actually kick in love and serve and, and faithfulness. Well, it's the same even societally. You know, as long as things are kind of just good enough, and they haven't been good enough for everybody, you know, but again, we're not going down that path. I, I, you know, we just kind of gloss over things and say everything's okay, everything's okay, everything. Well, that's our nature. We love to do that, especially in the West. It's like, no, everything's fine, everything's fine. It's not fine. And, and the, the way you know is usually through when things get exposed through trials, through tribulations, through sickness, you know, through lack, through maybe even too much, maybe abundance. Things like this expose what's in us. It's exposed it in society, okay? It's also exposing it in the big C church, capital C church. A lot's been exposed, right? Again, we could talk about that all day, you know, and mention a few things already. It's like some of our programs and some of the things, our productions and our, the things we lean on, the systems. We almost run like, you know, we're, we're politically oriented in the church. Probably way, way, way too much. You know, an organization is great to an extent, but organisms, they're automatically organized well if you let life flow through them. The problem has often been that we haven't let life through, so then it's just a dead shell of an organization. And so we're not much different than just a corporation at that point, or a club, or a fraternity, right? That's been exposed. That is getting exposed. It's good that it's getting exposed because it causes us. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, to change, right? And listen to this. Listen to this. It's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And repentance is followed by what? Acts. Anybody remember? A large crowd of thousands here. Anybody? Raise your hand. No. <laughs> refreshing. Times of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord, right? Peter, Peter preaches that. He says, repent. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So listen, repentance 
is amazing. It is led by the goodness of God. We're gathered to it. We're brought to it by the goodness of God, and it's followed by times of refreshing from his presence. Do you want it? Would you like a dose of repentance? Does it have to be a filthy word, a filthy R word? You know? No. It should be a daily thing to some extent. I'm not saying we should be sinning every day on purpose and just kind of live our lives in frivolity and because, oh, we can repent any time. But the idea of repentance as renewal and transformation, this process of sanctification in the body of Christ at large and us individually should be always happening to some extent. Renewal, transformation. It says we're going from glory to glory, faith to faith. Everything is moving upward in your life with God as you pursue him. If it's not, then that's a problem because where there isn't growth, there's sickness, right? Just look at the way our physical bodies work. If you're not growing, you're probably dying, right? That's how, it, you know, and it's a, it shows our mortality, right? But in the spirit, it's the same way. If you're not, in, a, in essence, being transformed and growing, you're not just sitting there at, at the same place. You don't stay in stagnancy. That's not a thing in, in the spiritual world, in the, in the realm, of heaven. It's not a thing. You're probably dying. So repentance actually brings us life. And again, repentance, I grew up in a very, you know, orthodox, evangelical, kind of fundamentalist thing where there was so much shame attached to the idea of repentance. I mean, so much of it. You just, you had to weekly get saved, you know, at the service. You just, you went about and anything that you did wrong, you just felt horrible about and it was just condemnation and it turned into a cycle. You know, it's like, that's not, that's not healthy Christianity. That's not biblical view of repentance, right? The power of the gospel is to leave these things behind us that are causing death and cancer and to embrace life that's supernatural and abundant and brings life. And all of us need it. There is nobody, nobody is too super, super spiritual for repentance. All of us need it. It's our life-giving substance. It's part of our encounter with God every day, our walk with God every day. His spiritual renewal, it's being transformed by him, right? Our, his presence shines light. When you're encountering God, you hopefully aren't just reading a passage in the scripture, but you're letting the scripture read you. You're letting it, it engage your heart. You're letting conviction set in. You guys following? You're letting it, letting it take root. So repentance is good. Exposing stuff is good. So we talked, yes, society, there's things being exposed. And rightfully so. And I pray that, you know, things that need to be shown light on in this season, that that happens. That needs to be the intercession of the church. We pray for that. We pray for light. But we also pray for it first, where? In the house of God, right? Where does judgment begin? Where should it begin? In the house of God, the church. That's where we need to pray. We need to pray and say, God, have your way. Don't let us just get through this season and everything go back to quote, unquote, normal, whatever that is. That ain't it. That's not our call. Our call is to redeem in every season the purposes of God, right? Remember the, in the Old Testament, it says the sons of Issachar, a tribe in Israel, they knew the season, so they had a grasp on what was going on, and they knew what Israel ought to do. They knew how to respond to it, in other words. The church has to do that. We don't survive through seasons. We're more than conquerors. We take a season, we grasp what God's trying to do or say through it, and then we overcome it. And we do more than that. We, we are more than overcomers, so we're not just overcoming for ourselves. We're overcoming and being a light to society. A jealousy is provoked in the world as they see us overcoming. <laughs> 
It's, it's amazing. This, this idea of exposure is what we want to pray for, but we want to pray for it to happen in the church. We don't want to be pointing at political figures and media icons so much. We probably need to stop doing that, in fact, and be blessing and praying and repenting because in the church is the real issue. Israel wasn't called out to just point, you know, the prophets didn't hardly ever go after other nations. There are exceptions, and it happens in some. It's mostly to the people of Israel, right? Why? Because that's where God's mercy was dwelling, and from there. And it says in, uh, I think it's Corinthians. I think I jotted this down, actually. I think it's in 1 Corinthians 11 or something. Maybe it's not 11. I forget, but it, t- it talks about the idea that judgment in the house of God happens, and then it says, why? Because of his mercy. It's the mercy of God. The, what does David say in Psalm 119, right? Throughout it. And he says, I love your judgments. What a dumb prayer. You know, you're like, oh my goodness, I, that is not what I am praying today. I just love your judgments, Lord. <laughs> love to be disciplined. I love it. I love sweat and blood and tears and pain, don't you? Come on, it's just amazing. The fruit of righteousness, right? right? Glenn's being honest. I'm going to be honest. I was just being sarcastic. I do not love discipline, pain, agony, blood, sweat, tears. The fruit of it, though, is righteousness, right? Hebrews 12 is righteousness for those who've been trained by it. In fact, it's your sign of legitimacy as an adopted child of the king is the fact that you're going through discipline. It's beautiful. It's amazing. And, it's the, and it says, like in that Corinthians passage, sorry, I don't have it prepared, but I was just reading it yesterday. I was like, oh, wow. In the context of, um, it's talking about communion and how if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. And it says, knowing that it's the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God that judgment is happening in the house of God first. Right? And when I say the house of God, yes, I mean collectively the big C church. I mean the local church like here small C church, but I also mean individuals and households for sure, but individuals too. What's been exposed in your heart this past season? Ah, it's the best answer. Good job, Autumn. Autumn gets 100%. So much, she said. Autumn is very honest. That's why God gives her so much to share. It's good. Honesty is great. Um, yeah, so much. Okay, we'll go with that. Anybody else? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. You don't need to expose yourself right now on the camera. Probably a lot if we stop and think about it. You know, probably a lot's been exposed. How about, let's try a few that I'm just guessing. And I'm not putting this on anybody here, anybody, anywhere in the camera there. Let's say restlessness. Let's think about it. You know, in Jeremiah's time, the land of Israel... I'm speaking a lot about Israel today. The land of Israel, when they went away into exile into Babylon, right? The land, Jeremiah says, the land basically needs Sabbath, needs a rest, because they, had never, they hadn't stopped it. They hadn't given it its time to rest. So the judgments of God on a wicked people led them into exile, and the land got a rest. The very land needed a rest. How much more, you and I, we do not rest well. We don't rest well. In the 80s, I think it was Nixon, he prophesied, quote unquote, that, you know, in 20 years from now, technology will have us to a place where people will work three hours a day, then go golf. Well, psh, 
how are you feeling about that? Is, do you think that's come true? It's been a lot more than 20 years since Nixon, right? Eh, it didn't happen. Okay. Why? Why didn't it happen? Because technology has boosted significantly. It's something like about 350, 350% or something insane. Why? Because we don't know how to rest. It isn't, it isn't about the stuff around us or the robots, folks. It's our spirits don't know how to rest. And we will find stuff to stress on. We will, in our sin, create havoc in our systems and our economy and stuff. We just do really well at making a mess as a humanity so that rest is the furthest thing away, right? When God's call to his people from creation, he instituted Sabbath and rest, has been that his people would find rest. What's Hebrews' big theme? It ain't over yet. Jesus has brought in the new covenant, but now there's a rest we have to pursue. What is he talking about? There's a restlessness in, that, that sin has caused in us that leaves us. We have no, you know, even we're, we're singing here all of 25 minutes, and, and I, I don't know about you, but I'm like, man, let's move on. You know, it's like we can't just stop and be in his presence for five more minutes, the king of all creation. We don't know how to rest, you know? I mean, we, Becca and I, my wife, Rebecca, we've been just going through thinking and talking a lot about Sabbath, reading up on, listening things, because it's a new concept for us in a lot of ways. We're just like, wow, we've never really, because, I, you know, we grew up in like, that's legalistic. That's old covenant Sabbath. You know, you don't, you don't deal, you don't need a day a week type of thing. And we're starting to see that actually that's not true at all. And nor is it biblical to say that. Well, you know, we go down that path another time. We need Sabbath desperately. You know, and, and a lot of the Christians and believers that I've talked to about it um, in our past year, it's funny. It's really funny. You'll be like, oh, I, like Sabbath is amazing. And they'll just do this. Are you kidding? That's so legalistic. I'm like, why the response? Like, literally, it's like, it's like I'm telling my kids, I want to get you guys ice cream. And they're like, no way, Dad. That's so legalistic. It's a gift. Sabbath is a gift. It's a gift. It's a needed thing. But we, we're just so busy. We can't stop, man. You know, and even when you have a literal quarantine, you can't stop. You're dying. You're like, I need some social help. I, I need to go buy something. I, I can't just sit here still, you know. It's hilarious in one sense. Like the kingdom needs to move forward now, and it's all about me doing it. Whoa, whoa. Have we exposed a little pride maybe with some of this restlessness and absolute arrogance that the kingdom of God has somehow needed you this whole time? needed me this whole time to just do whatever the heck we're doing, which if it's outside of his rest and abiding, it's probably not effective because you're not a, the, the fruit comes from abiding in Jesus, not from programs. And like a shutdown doesn't stop the church. It doesn't stop the church. I want to scream that. It's like, this doesn't stop us. This might only help us for a little bit to get our, get our focus back where it's supposed to be in the secret place in relationship with one another. We actually care about more than just doing our time. Help us, Lord, to grasp the season and know how to respond. Let's be like those sons of Issachar and grab the season and be like, oh, what are you trying to say to me? It's the worst thing you can do in a season. And this is the key to life with Jesus in my 30 years of following him, okay? The key is to embrace the stinking season. Like it or not, if it's not your cup of tea, if it doesn't match your, your Enneagram personality, it doesn't matter. <laughs> It's okay. You'll be okay. Embrace the season and allow God to do what he wants to do because a lot of times we don't let that happen and it'll come, it'll come back. He's good. 
He's the master architect, the master surgeon who does work on us individually and corporately all together really well. He's really good at his job. He knows how to do his sovereignty. Is, it's awe-inspiring how sovereign God is. When you think you're just all over the place and confused and your life is, where am I? How on earth is this going to turn into anything that's going to glorify God and bring fulfillment in my heart? You know, but it's the sovereignty of God even through the times like that where it's like, no, he's sovereign. He's going to do it. And it might, there might be winds and turns because of things like disobedience or not, not, not listening to what he's actually saying. You know, there might be swerves in the road, that sort of thing, but it'll come out eventually. So, boy, if, if what I've learned is, like, it's better just to embrace it while it's happening now. And just even if you're not loving it, you embrace that season. Even if it's like, I just everything in me is, is, is dying, I'd rather get, I'd almost rather get through it now to the fruit of righteousness, Hebrews, Hebrews 12 there, which is coming after, right? It's the idea of pumping iron, right? It's going to produce muscle. It's going to do it. Do it now. Or keep sitting on the couch eating Lay's potato chips, right? You won't have the same fruit. It's like, oh, the season is now. The season is now for you. You know, you hear that all the time. It's like, well, yeah. When is it not? You know, when is it not? <laughs> no, even early this year, and those who know me know, like, I'm, I just hate cute slogans. Never liked it. Maybe it's from my branding because that's what I do for work. But, you know, everybody's 2020 vision. This was January, right? 2020 vision. You know, and I was like, oh my gosh, come on, we couldn't come up with a better one than that. But it's proven pretty true. I'm sorry, maybe not the way we were all thinking, but boy, are things a lot clearer now than they were before. Right? What's it exposed? What's it exposed in us? What has it brought out that God wants to weed out of us? So yeah, I, uh, the, the, the restlessness, I think, is a really good one. The pride and arrogance, I think, is, is so attached. Um, trust. I think trust is the, probably the biggest one for me. It's like trusting God through a season like this. And this is the obvious practical stuff. It's like, how on earth are we going to pay our bills when everybody just shut down? You know, it's the basic. Those are obvious things of trust. But also trusting his plan. Trusting that he's going to get us through. Trusting that he hasn't fallen off the throne. Trusting that he's steady and his church is going to overcome. Trusting that relationships and children and things in our lives that we're all concerned about in certain seasons, that he's got it as we faithfully or as we consistently come to him and trust and trust. Anyone else had that one? That one's the biggest one for me. Possessions. I think that's a big one. <laughs> this has been amazing for us. Just the idea of, of, of simplifying the way we do things. Simplifying what is, just, you know, you have a thousand things calling your name, right, all day. Whether it's the, the, the phone. They say, uh, they say you touch your phone 2,617 times on average a day? I don't even know how that's possible. That's the stat I've, I've read. I'm like, what's well, just constantly calling us, right? To do something, to focus. 
um, the stuff that we need, you know, that we think we need so bad, the toys, right? Or man toys, if you're, you know, it's I need that new piece of equipment or that new camera or that new car, I need it. But what you find is as you pursue these things, right? As you pursue this, this everything you buy, it's going to cost you. Not just your money, it's going to cost you a lot of time. It's going to take you and make you this hectic kind of all over the place. Um, type of individual, you're frazzled, you're constantly trying to just manage and try to find some kind of a happiness in there, right? Sound familiar? I think possessions are a pretty big one. But I really do want to just focus, I think, mostly on the restlessness and the call of God to rest today. Here's Ron Rollheiser, a great quote, listen to this. So much of our unhappiness comes from comparing our lives our friendships, our loves, our commitments, our duties, our bodies, and our sexuality to some idealized and non-Christian vision of things which falsely assures us that there is a heaven on earth. It's out there. There's a heaven on earth, and I'm going to find it, right? When that happens, and it does, our tensions, the tension like we're talking about within us, begin to drive us mad. In this case, to a cancerous restlessness. A cancerous restlessness. I could never say it the way he said it. That is amazing. The tensions inside us, the wars. It sounds pretty biblical, right? Remember James? He says, where do wars and fights and stuff come from among you? Where do they come from? It's your desires. These, this, this, this angst inside of you. For me, the selfish ambition, this desire. It's the literal devil in us. The Satan, the same thing that, that, that ruled Adolf Hitler is in you and me. This cancerous thing without the redemption of Jesus Christ. Do you hear that? No, not everybody's all that good. It ain't, it's not like that. Our human nature is depraved on its own. It, and it, it shows itself in times of trouble like it doesn't in maybe times of niceness and everything's good. And as things get exposed, it shows us more and more our need for a Savior but it also shows us our absolute, like, oh, we're not as far as we thought we were. Oh, heavens, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We thought we were so far along. We're an amazing American church, you know? It's like, oh, whoa, whoa. I don't think that's the posture of a saint. I don't think that's the posture of a child of God. They're sitting, and they're watching the one who's at rest. Like we just read Psalm 46. Go through it again later today. Just meditate on that. He's at rest. Right, Psalm 2, heck, he, 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 he's not only at rest and seating, he, he's laughing at the chaos of the nations, trying to provoke him and all this. He's just so at rest. That's his nature. But ours is at war. War within us individually. That's where the fights really happen, our hearts. It's not about the outward stuff, right? Jesus said it's not about the outward stuff. It's from the heart. Adulterous thoughts come. Lust, greed, pride, arrogance, evil words. All this stuff, it doesn't come from, it's not this, it just shows up one day, you know, and oh, I let it in today. No, it's been in your heart the whole time. It's been in your heart the whole time. That's the sin, it's cancerous, and it'll, it'll consume you unless you rid it with repentance and renewal. And say, God, the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ, the water of your word, like, like Peter says, it needs to cleanse you daily. You need to come into his presence and allow for it to be a continual thing. Yes, I believe we're saved when we meet Jesus. Once and for all, there's, a, there's this, this work of Christ that is done, but there's a continual renewal that has to happen in us, a continual sanctification, a continual uh, a cleansing of the world and the stuff that is pulling us. 
Where do wars and fights come from among us? Even the way, the way we relate with one another? It's the same thing. It's that sin inside of us. And it causes us not only to lash within ourselves in this war inside our, our hearts, our bodies, our minds, but it also causes us to lash out at one another. It causes us to lash out and to, to speak evil of and to, to break and to criticize, to get violent, to do manipulative things, all this stuff. It comes from a war within us that's not at peace in God, that's not allowing his work of repentance to happen inside of us. You guys hearing this? Instead, we're, we're, we, instead of coming to that, we're, Jeremiah again, he says, I would be a fountain to you. This is God speaking to you, a fountain of living waters, but instead you take the dust and you drink that. It's basically what he says. I forget the passage. He says, there's a fountain of living waters before us today. But so often his people have chosen dust. We choose, we choose the world. We choose this as if, like Ron says here, as if there's a heaven on earth. This is not our home. We do not, in one sense, belong here at all. We are pilgrims passing through. We are different, and we can stand out. That also means we have a lot to give here. We have a ton to give because we're from another place, another kingdom. We're literally, we've been transferred, it says, transferred from the kingdom of darkness, this lowly, bound-up, chained kingdom, to the kingdom of the son of his love. We're, a new, we're citizens of heaven. We're not first citizens of any country on earth. Whatever you may pride yourself in. Be a good citizen in your country. I'm not, not arguing that. But that is not your identity. It's never meant to be the church's identity. I think that's been exposed in, in America largely right now. I'm going to get in trouble for this, but it's not Inacio saying it's me, so get mad at me. <laughs> but I'm saying there's this American idol. Uh, I'll just really quickly. It's like we, we as the church, we so identify so quickly as Americans first and kingdom of heaven citizens second. We would never say that. No, no, no. But man, actions speak louder than words. Help. I've been guilty of it growing up. I remember just the patriotism. I almost likened it subconsciously. Likened patriotism in America to this Christian thing that we're supposed to do. And I've realized the fallacy of that. Can you be an amazing citizen? You'll be the best citizen if you're a kingdom of heaven citizen. You'll be one that's actually promoting good and life and truth. But it's not meant to ever be an idol first. I don't even know where I was before. And yeah, now hate mail, let it come, Lord. <laughs> no, please don't. We just, we, we need kingdom mindset. We need to know that we're just passing through. We need to know that we're citizens of another place and we can dominate darkness here like nobody else can. There's no political entity, no king, no president, prime minister, no uh, media mogul or businessman, woman, like, or, or entertainer, this, nobody, no army, no military, nothing that can do any good in the supernatural realm. Do you realize that? They have no power in that realm. They have no power in that realm at all, just on, on that level. I'm saying it's the people of God who actually are above, and again, our web, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. We're not in that. We're not in that sphere. So like, you know, the, the, we combat often with like worldly weapons, that's not our call. We're, that's, those aren't even your weapons. Don't pick those up. Pick up the heavenly weapons and do some earthly good because you're heavenly empowered and heavenly minded and you have something that can actually offer life. Jesus Christ is still 
and will always be the most influential human being that ever walked. I'm very confident in saying that, knowing history pretty well at this point. I love reading. I love it. There's no one who's ever impacted the world on every level more than Jesus Christ. And then you look at his life and you're like, how on earth did he do that? He hides away. He comes as a baby. Nobody knows he's there. He hides away for the majority of his life, 30 years. Wow, right? Hides away. And then he starts to kind of reveal himself, but not enough because his brothers and sisters never like, you should show yourself to the world. But he knew, it says he knew what was in man. He didn't want to give himself to man because he knew what's in man. Like that is a false kingship. That is not why I've been called. He kept to his purpose, his focus, her, purpose. He could, have had, he could have had the world. The devil offered it to him, right? He could have had the world. The crowds were offering it to him. You know, he could have had it all. But that's not why he came. He stayed so focused. He stayed, he stayed poor. You know, I mean, simple. He stayed at rest. Look at Jesus' life. Listen, everything I've said today, just take everything I said and put it against the life of Jesus. If it doesn't stand against that, throw it away. But I guarantee a lot of these principles you'll see very evident in Jesus' life. He, he Sabbathed well in the midst of pretty busy life those last three years. Again, let's just remember also there were those 30 what on earth was he doing, you know? <laughs> but he didn't care because that wasn't his call. It wasn't until the time. He was so at rest for 30 years. He's God. He's fully man, fully God. He's there. He's the one, the awaited Messiah. And he just waits. He just waits for 30 years. Becky and I, we've been in kind of just a holding pattern for the last couple of years, trying to just listen to God's voice rethink how we how we believe you know and all these things and allowing this rest but it's driving me mad at times i'm getting to a place where i'm actually really starting to love it i'm like i just love sitting with jesus i love this time of of rest that i'm having with my family and more importantly with him um but man it drives some of us crazy right we have these seasons of like what are we doing like i got stuff to do the kingdom needs this you know i want to i want to prove myself i want to achieve you know Jesus had none of that. He did none of that 30 years. You know, and then his three years get in, and like we said, reveal yourself to the world. He says, no, your time is always now. That's what he tells them, right? Your time's always now, but my time hasn't come yet. Wow, right? And he reveals his glory, and then he does the craziest, the craziest things. Like no, no, no CEO or you know, advisor would ever suggest, if you want to build your kingdom, Jesus, you should do what you're about to do, which is tell people to eat my, eat my, uh, eat my flesh and drink my blood. He says the hardest saying of all, he goes against their whole sacrificial system and says, I'm it. He offends everybody. They all walk away except for the few, right? And then he continues to go down this path of instead of, instead of falling and placating to the way the world thinks, he follows the voice of his father to it says he learned obedience to the point of death, humbled himself to the point of death. That's Jesus. That's the one who, yes, like we said, he has been the most influential person in history, but more than that, he's the most influential and the most important in all the galaxy and all the times and all the universe and all of heaven and earth and hell forever. His name will be the most exalted. And that's how he lived. It's so and this is nothing new for us. It's so the kingdom way. Everything's flipped upside down. You want to be great. 
you got to be the lowest. You want to be first, you got to be last. You want to be the Lord of all, you come and serve all. And in his case, when it was, the, he, he, you know, the furthest ahead of us, and yet he served. He says, even the Son of Man came to serve and to lay his life down as a ransom for all. That's the mindset of Jesus. That's the mindset of rest. And what does he do throughout his life? He, he goes away and he spends nights in prayer because he needs to pray. He, he puts himself in the heart of the Father first and foremost, always, you know? It's constantly the way he lives. That's our example. That's our Savior. That's the call that we have. It's Jesus. It always comes back to Jesus, right? I heard somebody say that once, too. Any good theology should always come back to Jesus. You can, and man, you can, you test everything against the Word of God, but you test everything against, um, yes, the Scripture, but also the Word of God made flesh. That's Jesus Christ. That's the whole point. It's the holistic word of God. So you can test everything against the nature of Jesus, the person of Jesus, what he's shown us, who he is, and his spirit inside of us, right? That's who we need to be listening to. That's the word we need to hear in this time. So I really want, again, there's nothing new today that I think I'm saying. I think we need reminders constantly. We need reminders constantly because we are bombarded with messages that are contrary to this all day, all night, you know? And we, we not only are bombarded with them, we often propagate them. And I'm praying in my life, I'm like, God, where my voice is not being one to my brothers and sisters in Christ, to the world around me, to my family uh, of, of the voice of heaven, show me, expose it. Again, I want to repent. I want to change of it because that's life-giving, not only for me, but also for everybody around me, everybody who hears me, everybody who is influenced by me. Man, and you can, you can be such a blessing in such easy, practical ways. You know, I, I, we're talking to neighbors every day now who seem really stressed out. You know, it could be that, you know, we have one neighbor, it's just her, her kids and this whole school at home thing is driving her mad, you know. It's like you can be a voice to that. You can be a voice of hope and peace and love and that, that God has a purpose and plan in the midst of it. Or your, your neighbor who's lost his job, right? These are easy, tangible ways to be life-giving. But if we propagate the message of the world... We are only doing harm, not only to them, but also to ourselves. Our spirits are, are mired in that, and we need to get back. That's the challenge of our daily lives, right, is to stay centered on Jesus, to, to stay centered on his word, the spirit of God, to stay centered on what he says, his mindset. Lord, what are you saying right now? I feel the chaos. I feel the emotion. I feel the stress. This day's not going well. Boy, I need his presence. You know, let's get back to that. Let's get back to that so we can, again, proceed correctly. Proceed, not just correctly, but proceed supernaturally, right? Proceed so we're of earthly good. God wants to do this in us. God wants to challenge. And I want to just remind us that God is first and foremost in charge. He's at, on his throne. But he's also got a plan, not just for his church, not just for the world, but for you. He has a plan for you. He's got it. And we need to come under that. We need to bow our knees before him or our God and Father and say, I trust you. I trust the processes you're doing in my heart. So where, wherever you're at right now, whatever you're in the midst of, it's, it's true for you. It's always true. He's faithful. He's steady. And he works. He works so well in our hearts and lives. He, he pulls out what he wants to so well. I'm going to just read this poem. This is 
I want to make a song out of this one. I don't know who wrote it. This is an old poem here. It says, when God wants to drill a man. Have you ever heard this one? Um, just replace the word man with woman if you're a woman. Listen to this. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man. When God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part. When he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed. Watch his methods. Watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses in which every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. Huh. Wow. God knows what he's about. He's calling you, he's calling me, he's calling his church to try his splendor out. He doesn't want to just keep his glory to himself. That's why Jesus came. He wants to share it with you and me. He wants the splendor of God in you. But he's the one who does it. He's the master architect. He knows how to do it. He's the one that does it. All that you're in the midst of right now, it's just, it's pithy, it's small if you could see the glory, right? What does Paul say? He says, in comparison, it's not even to be compared with the glory which will be revealed in us, right? All the trials, all the struggles, all the persecutions, the stuff, like we can gladly take it on with rejoicing. You don't have to just bear through. You can actually find strength in God through joy in the midst of it through this, through these trials, to know that God's working his splendor out in you and me. He's working it out in his church. He has not only a plan, but the glorious plan, the one. This is why we can be excited. This is why we can be um, hope-filled in any, any season, any time. That's why these little things that have happened in the world, they are just little things in light of what God is doing in you and me and in his church. I think that I pulled up that Highland song. Love those lyrics. I was just struck by the chorus there. I think it's the chorus. Listen to this too. This is the one we were singing earlier. No less God within the shadows. <laughs> no less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is. In the highlands and the heartache, all the same. God, you're no less God. You're no less God in, in, in the, the darkest place of the night when we can't see or feel or sense. You're still there. What an assurance we have today. What an assurance we have. And we want to worship you and claim that, say that, confess that today, that you're no less God as you rip our hearts apart and pull out what you will. You're the master. You're the one that wants to drill us and skill us, kill us, mold us, make us. What a master potter. What a master. 
You are. What a good, and like we said, a good and faithful father. So good. And then that course, you know, it says, you're never going to let me down. Obviously, some of our expectations are going to be let down because they're not of him. But his faithfulness won't ever let you down. You can, you can bank on it more than anything else. You can bank on the constancy of God's nature more than anything else in all the world, in all the universe, in all of time. And beyond time. He's the God who fills eternity. He's the God who's there, present at the beginning as if it was the end, and at the end as if it was the beginning, and throughout it, he is I am. He is steady. He is the one to be worshipped. He is the one who's called us to enter that glory with him, to take it on, to take on a supernatural life, to take on the worship of God, not just in song, of course, more than that, but to embody it, embody the power of God, the tangible love of God that this world's desperately in need of, absolutely, but that also he may get all the glory forever. And that in that sense, because he gets all the glory, we get to yet enjoy him more and yet know him more. It's just, it's just awesome. <laughs> what a call today, right? And whatever you're in the midst of too, this was the scripture I was in yesterday. It's Romans eleven thirty three, and on. Um, whatever you're, you're facing, whatever, whatever dilemma, you can say this with Paul. He says, oh, how great are God's riches and wisdom and knowledge. Oh, how great are your riches, wisdom, and knowledge, Lord. How impossible it is for us to understand his decisions and his ways. Listen to that. Just like, but Moses knew his ways, and yet it says it's impossible to. What a tension. What a call. We are allowed to dive in and dive in forever into the ways of God. It will never end. To know all his ways. But he invites you and me today. He invites us to engage with God. There's nobody... Nobody better, nothing better. No riches, no fame. How amazing. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. So I want to close with that. Today, Lord, we do say to you be all the glory. Your wisdom far surpasses ours. It says his ways are higher than our ways. Right? His understanding beyond us, his, even his peace, which you can have reside in your heart today. Just repent of fear and lies and take in the peace of God. That goes beyond our understanding. It's another level, another element. You're going to, jaws will drop as they watch your life, as you embrace the King of Heaven. And people will be, you will be contagious, attractive, magnetic to the world around you as you let God's presence and person diffuse. And manifest through you. So, Lord, let that be in us today. I pray that. Let that be in me, Lord. And like I said, let this not just be a word that goes in and out of our ears, but let it meld into our hearts. Build into us, Lord, your word today. The work of God, the ways of God, the word of God to your people. And we agree with it all in Jesus' name. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Yeah, let's just do, let's just worship for a few minutes, you know, if you're at home in your car, whatever, just, just sit with God for a second, just reflect on him before you move on with your day. Um, just worship God and allow him to challenge and let the season be one of challenge. Let him get messy with you. 
The potter gets really messy. If you ever watch the clay stuff, it's a messy room. It's spitting all over the place. Like that's, that's the purpose of God for us. And, and we need to encourage one another in it. You've, he's got you. He's got us. He's got his church. He's got everything. And it'll work out not the way that we necessarily thought it would. It'll work out the way his plan intended it to be. And that's the beauty, the beauty of God and his, his purpose. Amen? So why don't we do just a song?